We are going through Ephesians. We're almost done with Ephesians. And as I said, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 will be our, our focus. But I, I want to read verses 10 through 13 uh, together this morning. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We touched on it a little bit last week, but we're going to look at it more this week. Today, the idea of Satan and demons really seems crazy. If you were to talk to your coworker, they'd probably look at you strange. Like, you still believe in that? Or you still think that that might be real? But in Ephesus, during this time, that would not have been the case. What Paul is writing to uh, this church in this town, they knew very well the work of, of Satan and demons, and they would not have doubted this. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, in Acts chapter 19, I want to read this for you. In verses 13 through 17, we see an account here that happened in Ephesus. It says, Then some of, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus of whom Paul proclaims, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Seba were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And then notice what it says in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. You remember, the town of Ephesus is a very religious city. There's all kinds of pagan religions. Christianity is there at this time. There are Jews there. There's all kinds of things going on there. But what we read here in Acts is that something happened and took place, and the whole city heard about it and was even fearful about it. What Paul brings up to us this morning in the passage that we're in and like I said, we looked at this a little bit last week. But there's a spiritual battle that is taking place each and every day, even though probably for most of us, we don't think about it. It's not something that is on our mind. It's maybe not something that you often reflect on. Yet, it still rages on. And it is true that Satan and those who follow Satan are raging a war against the kingdom of God. And we are in that battle. It is happening and it is taking place. And the way that Paul talks about it at first in verse 12 is he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That word wrestle there comes from a Greek word, P A L E. Sounds like pale. P A L E. And it is the simplest form of the word wrestle that you can have in the Greek. The reason I want to bring this up because I want us to understand the image that would come to the mind of Paul's audience when he's talking about this. And a lot of images would have come to the mind of those in Ephesus. You see, the Olympics were taking place even during this time. 
Paul would have known about the Olympics. And within the Olympics, there was roughly three hand-to-hand combat events that would have been uh, taking place. And this is what would have been in the mind of these listeners when they would have heard Paul use this word. It would have been these three different things. One is wrestling. Yes, they had a wrestling, kind of similar to the wrestling maybe you would see today, not on TV, but in high schools and in colleges, a regular sort of wrestling, even though back then there were a few less rules than there were today. And it made wrestling a, a pretty dangerous sport, a pretty bloody sport. But most of these people in this town would have seen wrestling happen. Another thing that would have came to their mind when hearing this word that Paul says is boxing. Now, again, not the boxing like we're used to today, where the match gets stopped if anything starts taking place. But the boxing of the day back then would have been very heavy gloves on. No rounds, so you just keep going. And oftentimes, these gloves had nails in part of them, sharp edges in part of them. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a strange thing for a boxer to lose an ear, to really get gashed, or to even die in the battle. And so this would have been in their mind as they heard Paul talking about this word wrestle. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. The third thing is called pancreaton. And this means all powerful is what it means. And this is a wrestling match, you could say, but this is a a battle with no rules at all. Uh, This was something that was added to the Olympics uh, a little later on, but it would have been taking place during Paul's time. And like I said, there was no rules. There was no body part that was out of line. You just needed to win. And there's actually some letters that we have historically of, of, of men who would go and they would, they would uh, participate in this sort of wrestling. And so they would go away from their home and, and live at this place that kind of, they said it kind of was like a, a chapel, this huge arena, but there was like worship taking place of these men and they would come and, and train And there were letters going back to their home saying, listen, before I ever give up, I will die. That was their mentality. When I enter this ring and we're about to wrestle, I'm about to fight this other guy. You could tap out, but you shouldn't tap out because then you're done anyways. You're not going to fight anymore. It wasn't. And so only the fiercest of men would, would go into this battle and Oftentimes, as you're watching this battle, you would see somebody die. That's the wrestling that comes to mind for Paul's audience. When he hears this word, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a serious matter. It's a serious deal. And Paul is telling his church that this is the type of battle we are in every single day. Now, I would guess if I told you After church, next week, you're fighting this person to the death. You'd probably get me arrested or whatever. But if I could get it legally done, I would assume you would prepare. I would assume that this week, all of a sudden in your life, you're like, maybe I should do some cardio. Right? Or you might go to the opposite end and say, I'm going to lose. I'm going to live it up this week. I don't know. But there's this preparation in mind that we need to be ready for what we are about to face. And again, this is what we face every single day. Our life is on the line in a battle of cosmic proportions. And it is just simply foolish for us to ignore this and to not prepare for it and to not be ready for it. 
We must always be ready for our opponent. We need to always be ready for our enemy. And so this is what Paul goes on to address, to address our enemy. And it's important for us to know who our enemy is, because I do think for a lot of Christians today, Satan has a way of sidetracking us to where we don't think about the fact that our enemy is him, but we start to think our enemy is the person sitting next to me. Or the enemy is that guy that I see on TV. Or our enemy is that country that we keep hearing about. But Paul tells his listeners here, he says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. But I do think there's a fair question to ask Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 13, Paul again is writing to a church and he tells them this. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, it seems as if we as we read Romans 8 there, it seems like flesh is the enemy. We're called to put it to death, right? Put Put your flesh to death. And this means our fleshly desires. This means sin in our life. Paul's urging us to do that. And so it really does make it look like, well, that means the battle that I face every single day is my flesh. It's my, it's my sin. And I think even our own experience would show us to, that this is the case, right? Every day we wake up and it seems, again, we struggle with that sin over and over and over. We talked about that last week. This indwelling sin that we just can't seem to get rid of, even as Christians, maybe even as faithful Christians. You read, you pray, you go to church, you you do ministry, you do all these different things that are are good and great. But you know inside, in your life, there's still this struggle with pride. There's still this struggle with greed or whatever it might be that you struggle with. And so we see in life experience that it seems like flesh and blood really is what we are battling, at least our own. Maybe not somebody else, but at least our own. But we do struggle with it with other people. We see people every day that we feel like we battle. I don't know who it is at your workplace, but when you see him or her, your stomach turns. Oh, I gotta deal with them again. Or maybe it's a customer who comes into your workplace and you do everything you can to not have to deal with that customer. I got to go do, take a smoke break. And you, you leave because you see him coming. You don't want to deal with that person. And you just struggle with them. Throughout history, no doubt, we can look at some of the worst people who ever lived. Dictators, kings that just did horrible atrocities. The way they lived their life seemed to be so evil. The way they would treat people, their thinking, their actions just seems so wrong. And so we would look at them and we would say, see, that is an enemy. That is that is what we battle. Or maybe even in your life right now, maybe it's a little more subtle. But as a Christian, you know that you have people in your life that seem to lead you into sin. Old friends, whatever it might be. And, you know, if I go hang out with them, chances are I'm going to fall. And so maybe when you go to hang out with them with that in your mind, you're thinking, I'm not going to let them beat me this time. And so we're viewing them as the enemy. We're viewing them as the one who might lead us into sin or lead us towards 
destruction. And so we, we have that in our life. And our, our mind thinks about these things, this flesh and blood. I want to remind you this morning that when the Bible speaks of the flesh, most of the time, it speaks of the flesh as something that is weak. Not something that is mighty, but something that is weak. In Isaiah 31, verse 3, as the prophet is speaking, he says, The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh, not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Now, how is the prophet using the word flesh there? As weakness. Using it as weakness. Saying, oh, they have horses? Oh, they have an army? Those are, that's men. That's flesh. That's weak. God can make them all stumble. Can make them all fall. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul would write, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So again, how is Paul using flesh? His weakness. As weakness. Yet we oftentimes think of the flesh as what we battle against, as what our enemy is, but the Bible speaks of it as, as something that is weak. Yes, it's true that our father Adam sinned. And as a result of his sin, he has corrupted our flesh, which we struggle with all the time. I've already admitted to that. We know this to be true. Yet so often we elevate this fleshly life that we live, that we see with our eyes, that we can touch. And we almost put it to the level equal with God when it comes to its strength, when it comes to its power. So much so that we start to trust in the power of man in this day and age. We trust in our intellect we trust in our technology. We start to fret over those who can harm us physically. Or we have such great anxiety over those who can harm us financially. I mean, we've been in a tizzy lately because of gas. I mean, it makes us so scared of what could happen. Maybe you're one of those. You've bought a lot of toilet paper lately. I do that. I'm not making fun of you. I'm right with you. But what causes that? It's fear. It's anxiety. It's a struggle, but it's always fleshly. It's always over the things of the flesh. Or maybe as an American, you feel very secure. Why? Because you have the biggest army. You have the biggest military force. And so you find great comfort in that. Well, so did Egypt. They did too. And they were very secure with that. But we see how God would use Moses to destroy that. Or how the prophet Isaiah would say, the Egyptians, they're just man. You see, we seem to so quickly forget what we've been taught as kids. And now I'm speaking to those of us who've been raised in church. If you were not raised in church, you kind of have a pass on this. But those of us who've been raised in church life, you did the whole Sunday school, vacation Bible school thing. You did all that. We tend to forget what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 28. I've been taught this a hundred times, yet I often don't live my life by it. Jesus says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, 
And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I know that this is true. But yet in my life, so often it's so difficult to live in this way because instead I have fear for those who can hurt me physically because that's now, right? That's in the present right now. And as Christians, Paul is urging us on here to remember that there is a battle going on that impacts, yes, the flesh of this world. It does. The reason we have fear the reason there's dictators, the reason there's wars, the reason there's all this struggle is because there is a battle of much bigger proportion going on that we don't see with our naked eye. And that's the battle that we need to be worried about. The battle that is driving all of this sin, that is driving all of these fleshly desires. And Paul says we wrestle against spiritual forces, right? He goes on, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, some would take this passage, yes, and try to argue what Paul is setting up here is some sort of form or rank when it comes to Satan and his followers. And while this might be true uh, to some point, I don't think they can say that very definitively. But there are some things that you can say definitively. Because in the Bible, we do see Satan declared to be the head of all evil forces. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here, Satan is listed as the God of this world. It shows us his authority that he has over this world. And it's true. Again, it's not something I know it sounds uh, to the world. This sounds like we're going way back in time. The Bible is very clear that Satan is uh, alive right now. And that he has great authority over the evil in this world. And these evil forces are raging a battle. And they're raging a battle against the kingdom of God. And they do it relentlessly. Never ending. It never stops. Satan attacks man over and over again. Why? Because he doesn't want you to know who God is. He doesn't want us to know who God really is and how much God really loves his creation and what God has done for his creation. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to know that. So he starts to use the wisdom of man to do this. We see this all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan's first ploy, Satan's first trick was what? Was to tell Adam and Eve to use their own intellect. Think it through. Why do you think God doesn't want you to do that? He knows you will be just like him. Right? Satan taps in. Satan taps in right there to man's pride. He knows. Think it. Think about it. And so Adam and Eve start to think about it. And they say, oh, you're right. See, this was a ploy of Satan that he continues to do to this very day. Well, yes, we see the horrible atrocities that take place in our world. We can rightly attribute that to Satan, and we, and we need to do that. But he also works in much quieter ways, much quieter ways in the lives of most people. Satan loves to see the person 
who attends church thinking that's going to save them. He loves it. He loves when someone will come and sit down in the pew and and sing some songs and listen to the preacher and then go home completely unchanged. Completely unchanged. Trusting in the fact that, see, I love God because I went to church. Or, see, look, I love God because I gave the church some money. Or I, I gave to this charity. Satan loves that. Oh, it's not on the news. It's not some horrible atrocity where we see people dying and struggling. No. Satan has them right where he wants them. Don't read your Bible. Don't think any deeper. Don't pray. Just do. Go there and you'll be fine. He loves the person speaking the things of God, but in their heart, treasuring their sin. Again, loving things about the church even, but in their heart, harboring sin that they are not willing to get rid of. Satan loves that. It's one of his greatest tactics. I know you have the sin in your life, but look at him. Such greater sin. You don't need to worry about yours. Oh, what a ploy that he has. Again, you don't make the evening news, but you're still losing the battle just as much as the things that are on the news. The Bible is very clear that all evil in the world finds its source in Satan and in his followers, his demons. Jesus would deal with this multiple times in the Bible. He would cast out demons who seemed to even control the person physically. You remember the parents who would go to Jesus and say, you need to help him. They're even throwing him into the fire, right? Saying these evil spirits in him are even convulsing him into the fire and has tried to kill him multiple times. And so we see the ability of, of these demons to, to physically control a person. Or Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Remember this from last week. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you remember from that, those who are not children of God are followers of Satan. That is their master. Again, we don't like to talk that way, but even Jesus says that. He said that to the, to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees as they would try to talk back to him. He'd say, your father is Satan, is the devil. Ooh, and they'd go back, wait a second, we're in the temple every day. We're worshiping every day. But yet Jesus would declare to them, you do not follow God. And if you don't follow God, there's only one other to follow. And that is Satan himself. We see that very clearly. Those who are not children of God follow their leader, Satan. This is what they do. Now, we do need to remember that, yes, Satan has authority over this world, but it's not one that he's earned. Okay, it's not, it's not a position that he has earned and made his way to, but instead the Bible says he's been given it. It's something that has been given to him. We see this in Luke chapter four. Go ahead and turn there with me if you want. I'm gonna turn there too. Luke chapter four, verses five through seven. Should be on the screen as well. In Luke 4, verse 5 through 7, this is the temptation of Christ. And you remember how Satan would promise all of these things to Jesus. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, 
To you I will give all this authority and their glory. Why? For it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Even Satan himself says what? I didn't earn this. This authority has been delivered to me. We see in God's word, it's, it's God who allows him to have this authority. It is God who has given Satan this. And now you might ask this question because I would too at the same time. Why would God do this? Why would God let Satan have any authority at all? In fact, why did God ever create him? We know the story of Satan falling from heaven and rebelling and taking a third with him. If God's all powerful, if God's all knowing, why? Why did that happen? Why Why did this take place? If you ask that question like I do as well, I think it's a valid question. I think it's a a good question. And I don't hope to disappoint you by the answer. But I think the answer is, I don't think we can answer that fully. I think as we look through God's word, we can't sit here with some good definitive answer that will appease many of you. But the answer should appease us. Somehow and in some way, according to God's plan, this is the best plan. It is the good, the good plan that can happen. It is a part of God's wise plan to allow Satan to have great power in this world since the fall of man. I don't know why. I think it would be wrong for me to try to go beyond that, and to try to give you some other reason. In fact, I think it'd be wrong for you to do the same. You might try. I'm sure many have tried. The fact is, I, I don't know, but I know that part of God's plan was this. And so knowing that it's Satan who works all evil in this world, knowing all this authority that he has has been given to him by God, it leads us to a few things. First of all, it leads us to what Paul's already said, that we need to remember, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. And so I say that because of this. I think it is very important for us to have compassion on flesh and blood. Because if there's any people in the world who should have compassion on other people in the world, it should be Christian people. Because we see the world differently and we know and understand what is really going on according to God's word. There is a battle taking place that we do not see with our physical eye. But we also know that Christ has come to conquer that. We know that he is the victor. And we know that he has given us eternal life through his life. We know these things. And so when we come up to that guy who constantly we are struggling with at work, instead of having anger and rage towards him, instead of wanting to beat him into dust, really what we should see is we should see the work of Satan in his life and have great compassion on him, knowing that he can't help that he serves Satan over and over again. It is his master. He hasn't been saved by God's grace. Maybe he's never heard of Jesus Yes, he's held accountable for his sins and what he does. But we should have compassion on him. Oh, he may hurt us. Oh, they may lob complaints at you and say bad things about you. But then what does that mean? You're suffering just like Jesus. Jesus faced the same things. And Paul would say, I glory in that I get to suffer like my Savior. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We need to see the world 
differently. So yes, I, I'm with you. It's difficult to see the things on the news, to see the horrible things that happen around the world. And it's very easy for me to get hatred, to just build up this hatred towards people. But I have to understand why they're that way. They're broken and without a savior. Uh, they've never trusted in him. They're living their life essentially on their own with no hope, no joy, no peace. As a Christian, that should break my heart and cause me to pray for them even more. To help them to see the truth, for God to send somebody, even if it's me, send me if I need to, to let them know the truth. So we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We also know that there's more going on than just what we see with our naked eye. I've been saying that multiple times, but Satan is battling God every day. We know that Satan does not have supreme rule over all. So well, how do you know that? Well, if, if Satan had supreme rule over all, Jesus would never have been raised from the dead. And there'd be some tomb that we could go to. There'd be some bones that we could hold on to. But it's not there. Satan thought that he had victory. He'd got Jesus all the way to the cross. He'd got Jesus on the cross. He got Jesus to die. And so no doubt, he thought victory was his. See, I am all authority. I have all power. No doubt he thought that. The problem is that wasn't the case. God in his great plan used what Satan thought was victory to actually achieve victory for himself. To conquer Satan once and for all is what happened and took place. And so the cross isn't the end of the story. And if Satan was in control, it would have been the end of the story, but it's not. We know the scripture teaches us when it comes to Satan that he will not stop until God destroys him forever. Now, I'm sure some of you are greater scholars than me when it comes to Revelation, and I'll let you think through that yourself. But I do have enough knowledge of the book to know that Satan doesn't stop fighting until the very end. He takes on every battle he can until the very, very end. But what I would want to remind you of, of what I was reminded of this week is this truth. God will destroy Satan forever. He will not always have his position of authority that God has given him on this earth. We see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is Satan's end. This is his destiny. This is where he ends up and this is where he goes. And if not for the love of the Savior, it'd be the same story for us. We would be those who had been deceived by them. We, that would be us. That would be our story. But as Christians, we know that because of Christ and his victory, that's not us. And this is the message that we get to tell others. This is the message that parents, you get to tell your children. This is the message that you get to tell your coworkers, your family members, those you come in contact with. That there's more going on in this world that meets the eye. But God has made a way for us to be with him forever, to win in this war, to win in these battles. And so after Paul reminding us of this, he goes to verse 13. And he says, therefore, because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, because we have all these spiritual forces, all these things that we are fighting, 
Because of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I don't think I have to try to prove to you that we live in an evil day. Days of difficulty, days of struggle. And Paul says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I remind you, as I did last week, God has given us all we need to withstand the schemes of the devil. Everything. If you're a believer in Christ, you have it. You don't have to wonder if you have it. The Bible tells us you have everything you need. It's all been given to us, and we'll look at that more in the days to come. But in Christ, we have been given the full armor of God to protect us from the evil forces that we face day to day. Christ has done everything for us. He's done it all yet. As Paul mentioned so often, that balance of Christ has done it all for us. Now go and do. Now go and do. We can often struggle with that in our mind, but Paul says it here. Yes, Jesus has done it all, but take it up. He says, put on the armor of Christ in action. Grow in Christ each day in action. Stay disciplined in our walk in action. Because I love how Paul says it there. He says, and having done all, just like if you're in that battle, like we talked about at the beginning, you're wrestling and it's to the death. And if it's to the death, you are going to do everything in your capabilities to get out alive. Everything. As believers, it's, it's the same way. God calls us to be holy. God calls us to grow in Christ daily. He calls us to, to walk in his ways and in his truths. And so there's this action on our part that God has given us saying, go and do these things so that you can withstand in the evil days. So that when Satan is tempting you to do whatever, whatever sin it might be, you can withstand. And I think all of us in here can agree that there is growing we need to do because we fall all the time. Is that because our armor is incomplete? No, Christ has given us all of himself. And Satan will never snatch you from his grip. It's not going to happen. God says, I do not lose a single one of mine. I do not lose them. And so there's not a worry of being lost. But it's, I need to win these battles. God is pushing me forward. I need to continue to grow in these battles. And so we as Christians need to work hard to stand firm in trusting God. And that'd be the question I'd ask you, Christian, this morning. I mean, I'm looking at some of you. You've been saved much longer than I've been alive. Are you doing everything you can to stand firm? Everything. You're taking every opportunity. You're, you, you want to stand firm. And now I know that that's not true. Because some of the things that God has given us to stand firm is a church. And you guys are here, and I'm glad you're here. But did you know our church has more than this? At nine o'clock, we have Sunday school. Do you know why we do Sunday school? To help you stand firm, to train you in the ways of God, to help you know his word better. Why? So that you can grow in him and stand firm. Did you know that tonight at six o'clock, we're gonna do this again? 
It's a different sermon. It's different songs. But do you know why we do two services on Sunday? To help you stand firm. To help me stand firm. You say, I don't need that. What I need is I need family dinner time. Valid, I guess. No. Are you doing everything you can to stand firm? You say, Pastor, you're just, you're just trying to boost attendance. I'll be honest with you. I've never cared about attendance, ever. I get a text every week from the guy who counts in here, and I rarely look at it. I don't care. Don't matter to me. I'm not doing it for attendance. We do this as pastors, as church leaders. Why do you have these things? Because we believe this word to be true. There is a spiritual fight that happens every day in your life, and it breaks my heart to see Christians fail all the time. Why? Because they are not giving it their all. You say, well, it sounds like you're not trusting in Christ. I trust in Christ fully for my salvation. I trust Christ fully in my growth. But the Bible is very adamant. Go and discipline yourself. Do everything you can to stand firm. And it's really hard, church. Listen, it's really hard to get calls from people to say, Pastor, I don't know why this is happening in my life. Why is God allowing it? And what I want to say is because you are weak. You have not done everything you could to stand firm. God has given you all the tools at your disposal, yet you look at your tools and say, I don't know the difference between a hammer and a screwdriver. It's not God's fault. God has given you everything you need to succeed. But you're not doing everything you can. Yeah, you come to church, that's great. What happens Monday through Saturday? How much are you in his word? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend with other Christians in fellowship and encouragement and in growth? Say, I don't need that stuff. Yes, you do. The Bible is so clear on it. Yes, you do. That's why you fall to sin so often. That's why you continue to stumble. That's why you can walk into church and leave and say, Paul, oh, that was, that was a way. I don't even, I didn't get anything. I sang the song, open my eyes to my heart, but God just didn't do it today. It just didn't do it for me. You're weak. I'm sorry. And when I say that, listen, I'm speaking to myself too. I go through the same struggles as you. God has given us what we need, but Paul says, you must work hard at it. It's not easy. I could go on and on with this. It stinks looking at a kid who has so much skill and they continue to fail in school or in athletics, whatever it might be. And you know why. They won't put the time in. I don't know why I get bad grades. You never read. You never do your homework. You rarely attend school. You're one of the smartest kids I know, but you use it for the wrong things. And now you're asking me, why do I not get good grades? Maybe you are dumb. It's because you're not putting in the work. Coach, I don't know why I just can't make the basket. It's because you don't practice. You don't try to get better. You just rely on some God-given ability and you don't put any effort into it. Now we see those sorts of things, but yet in our Christian life, we think it's something different. Paul says, put in the work. God has given you the full armor of Christ. God has given us everything. 
to be victorious. And in Christ, we are victorious. In the day of judgment, as a child of God, listen, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and there's no eraser. You'll be in. Paul says, as his child, as a soldier in his kingdom, battle, fight, train yourself, discipline yourself, be ready because Satan will not rest. Satan will not sleep. He's going to continue to fight you. He is going to be relentless until the day that God banishes him to hell forever. And so church family, we need to take it serious. We need to be ready to fight these battles. God has loved us so much that he's given us all the tools we need. We just gotta be willing to use them. We gotta be willing to take them and to take it serious. And in the love of our father, go forward against Satan and those who follow him. This section is a challenging section as Paul addresses this church at the end. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll get into what the armor is. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, all these things. We'll talk about these things individually and see what they are. But I hope that as we do this over the next few weeks, that you'll be serious about it. Praying for God to help you in these different areas and to strengthen you and to reveal to you maybe areas of your life that are, are weak and maybe, because this is what I have to pray a lot, God, give me the motivation and desire to go and to fight and to grow. Give me that oomph that I need to do it. Maybe that needs to be your prayer even today. Because again, being very open and honest with you, that's my prayer for me. I know a lot of this stuff. I can learn a lot more. Don't get me wrong. But it's saying, God, give me the motivation. Push me forward to actually live it and to do it. So I hope that you'll be doing that as we move forward. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> God, last week in your word, I hope we saw great encouragement that we are strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might and that you hold us and that you save us. And even those pesky sins that we just can't seem to get over, we know that doesn't separate us from you, that you still love us. That when you saved us, you saved us of past, present, future sin. Nothing takes you by surprise. And so God, I hope that last week, for those who are here, we, we heard that message of, of hope in you. But God, I pray that we take that message and apply it to this week's as well. Because I know this week can be challenging. But God, it needs to be balanced with that hope that we are firm in Christ. You have saved us by your grace through faith, not of our own doing, lest that we would start boasting about it. That is true. But yet, your word tells us that you do prepare us, though, for works. And Paul's starting to lay out for us what that is. The work that it takes to have good relationships with our spouses or with our children or at work or even here. That we can succeed in the battle that we face every day. That's not with flesh and blood, even though that's what we think too often. But because of the hope we have in Christ, because God has given us all good gifts... And as we see here, he's given us 
You've given us the full armor of God that now we actually can go out into the battle and succeed. And so God, I pray that this week, I pray for those who are here. God, I pray that this week in their life, you would draw them closer to you. God, maybe that's by letting them see some victories and battles over sin or, or whatever it might be in their life. God, for some of us, though, it might be by us falling and needing to rely on you more and more. Maybe we've got to that point in our life where we think we have this under control. Oh, we know how to use the sword. We know how to use the shield. And so we start to trust in ourselves and our abilities. And maybe this week we need to be knocked back some so that we cling to the cross again. God, this week I pray that you would help us to grow in you. Help us to see the world differently than everybody else. Not as flesh and blood, not as political moves or strategy, but to know that behind the scenes, the real battle is Satan pushing against the kingdom of God. Satan hating the church, trying to repel the church, trying to deceive the church, trying to deceive those outside of the church, raging a battle that God, if we're honest, we feel every day. God, help us to have compassion on our fellow man. Help us to love them in a way that is uncanny to them. Help us to love them how you've told us to. Even our enemies we love. And God, I pray that they will take notice, not how good we are, but how good our Savior is. Give us opportunities to share the gospel with people in a loving way. And God, I pray that you would do that work in their life to save them so that we can see another person no longer deceived by Satan and his ways, but saved by your grace. God, we, we love you. We thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us a way to know you. God, give us the strength each day. Give us the motivation each day to move forward with the things that you have given us. So often we have motivation in our life for the fleshly things of this world, and that's not a bad thing. But God, the most important thing is that we are motivated to fight in this battle that you've called us to. So help us to do that each and every single day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.